All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Difficult Conversations by Supply the Why. I'm Dean. I'll be your conversational tour guide tonight. And as promised, we got a great one lined up. We are here with Sheriff Alfonso Williams of Burke County, Georgia. He is the top cop in that area, and he's going to be sharing stories about his journey and some of the leadership crises that he's faced along the way and how he's negotiated that. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring the sheriff up. Sheriff, how are you, sir? Hey, Dan, I'm fine, brother. How about you? I'm, I I couldn't be better. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us tonight uh, for a difficult conversation, which this most certainly promises to be. Well, thank you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm up to the task and uh, ready to uh, communicate uh, with, with folks on, on uh, whatever tough issues they have coming. What's going on across the country, leadership, power, politics, policing. I'm here, ready for it. All right. So let's get into it. So I've been following you for quite some time. And one of the things that I've always wanted to talk to you about was how your journey in law enforcement started. So if you could just give us a, give us a, 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 a brief story about how you started, why you started, and why you stayed. Yeah. So look, uh, uh, since about age eight years old, I wanted to be a, a police officer. That was my uh, short-term goal to be a police officer. Long-term goal was to become a detective. And uh, so right after high school, I uh, joined the police department, applied and, and was hired at 19. And a uh, year and five months later, I found myself being promoted to detective. And and uh, so my career started from there. I uh, specialized in child abuse and violent crimes and uh, uh, rapes, robberies, murders, ag assaults, uh, done all of that. And, uh, uh, you know, after a few years of doing that, I decided, uh, uh, you know, leadership was going to come my way. I, you, you just don't stay there where you are, uh, or you're not going to make anything. Can't take care of a family on, you know, $25,000, $30,000 a year. So we're, we're in the South here. You got to work for it. I didn't go to college right after high school. Uh, because I, I didn't think college was for me, uh, didn't think I was smart enough to go actually. And, uh, uh, so after about 10 years on the job, I realized I needed to go to college and, and, uh, so that I could prepare myself to move up and, uh, took me another two years to make up my mind. So I entered college for the first time at 30 years old, uh, got an associate's degree, bachelor's degree, went right on into a master's degree and, and, uh, since completed a second master's degree. Uh, I'm, I'm all about education uh, in our agency. I'm all about service to mankind. This profession has been good to me. I've been chief of police for a couple of different uh, uh, agencies and, and, and of course, sheriff now. So uh, I've been director of a police academy. I worked for the district attorney's office for seven years as an investigator. So I've got a ton of courtroom experience. I've uh, testified in the Superior Courts of Georgia uh, about eight times on use of force issues. Uh, I've taught thousands of police officers in my 32-year career, and uh, here I am having uh, difficult conversations with uh, the man. Uh, <laughs> uh, so here we are. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you. And I just wanted to, to circle back. So you got into law enforcement. Did you grow up always wanting to be in law enforcement? Was that your goal all along, or did you just kind of stumble into it? Yeah, just stumbled into it. Didn't have any uh, family history uh, of folks being in law enforcement. I think I'm the first. And uh, one of the only uh, in my family to to be in, in law enforcement. Uh, it's it's uh, I think it's a calling. Uh, my favorite Bible verse says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And and I'm here every day serving mankind. It's what I've done all my life. I just didn't have a name to put to it. It's what my mother did all of her life, um, in, in her own way. And uh, I finally realized that it's service, and that's what we're doing. Well, outstanding. So from there, let's talk about leadership. At some point, you realized that leadership was in your future, and you and that's what motivated you to go back and get your degrees, yes? Yes. All right. Talk about that process a little bit. Did somebody, did you have somebody that kind of crimped your lawn and took you under their wing, or is this, did you have an aha moment or two? Look, uh, in law enforcement, I had mostly bad leaders, uh, maybe one or two good ones. Uh, I figured out what to do by looking at the majority of the leaders I had and, and saying, I'm not going to do that. If I ever get in charge, I won't, won't do this. I won't do that. I'll care about people. I'll put people ahead of paperwork. I'll put people ahead of processes. 
And uh, so I like to say that I lead from the heart. Uh, my heart drives me and tells me what to do. And sometimes uh, uh, it gets a little foggy uh, because you're uh, because I am leading with my heart and I do care about people. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, it works for me. And, and I'm trying to uh, in every position I've had uh, currently and, and previously, it's my job to grow people with me. And, uh, and I don't say things like, he works for me, she works for me, it's they work with me. Uh, uh, I don't talk like I have people under my command. We, we don't use that kind of language. We are servant leaders here, and uh, it's working out quite well. So talk to me about the servant leadership style. That's something that's become more and more popular in law enforcement, uh, where you're right, it's more of embracing that team mentality because let's face it, as leaders of agencies, we can't flow the way we need to flow if we don't have competent and excited people working for us. Would you agree? Yeah, so so we've got to invest in people. And uh, if we invest in people and take care of them, they know that we care. They know that we're genuine. Uh, they they you they see that we are uh, interested in their career goals and we're trying to help them get to where they need to be, then they will perform. I don't have to have conversations in my agency about loyalty. I don't ever get up in front of a group and say, now I'm sheriff and you better be loyal to me. They don't they don't ever hear that kind of talk. What they hear is I love you. I care about you. I'm going to help you get to where you need to be. Uh, we're going to 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 coach and mentor and encourage you. And uh, I realize not everybody is going to take uh, take to that. Those that don't uh, leave, but those who who uh, who understand it, stay and work with us. And uh, that's 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 who we are. Uh, we we are we're putting that into practice every day. We're making sure that we're growing leaders. So you talk about succession leadership. We're we're, we're growing leaders. I've got a vision. Uh, the vision will be here long after I'm gone. Visions don't die. Visionaries do. Uh, so my vision is being handed out every day to those folks that I work with. So if something happens to me tomorrow, this place can still uh, carry on because they understand the vision and the vision is about service to mankind. I love that. Visions don't die. Visionaries do. That is, that, that's profound. I'm going to take that with me. So with that in mind, how do you feel, or how do you get folks on board with procedural justice? There's been a lot of talk about that in, you know, the, the President Obama, when he came out with his six pillars of 21st century policing, procedural fairness was one of them. Give us your thoughts on that. And how do you get buy-in in your building with that? Look, it's, it's all about service. It's it's if it, it, that's the very essence of what we do. Procedural justice is nothing more than making sure that we are fair and equitable in what we do. Uh, we've got to take care of each other inside. If we're not fair and just and equitable to one another within the agency, then what what can you expect when they go outside of the agency? We have to. When every agency I've been. Uh, a leader of, we have made sure that we cleaned up our stuff in-house. If I treat them like crap in-house, they're going to go outside the house and treat our constituency the way I'm treating them. If I'm unfair, if, I, if, if they see inequities, if they see injustices, if they see questionable ethics, if I'm asking them to do things that are immoral and illegal, they're going to go out and do the same thing. So it starts with the leader. And if I espouse uh, procedural justice and equity and fairness uh, and service to mankind, not just service to our kind, but service to mankind, doesn't matter what color you are, just be fair, be equitable, be just in your dealings. They see that inside, they can then take it outside. You ask anybody, I have... 121 co-workers here, 120 co-workers, every one of them will tell you the sheriff believes in service above all else. And that's what they take out into the communities we serve. That builds trust, respect, fairness. It's like I say every day, the 
crisis, the cleanup starts, the cleanup starts before the crisis ever occurs. The cleanup starts Love that. before the crisis occurs. In other words, when we're making uh, friendships and relationships and partnerships, we're already cleaning up before we have a crisis so that when the crisis comes, then, then we're not getting to know one another. We already know each other. We already have the relationships. The trust is already there because we've been serving. I love that concept. Uh, I talk about it all the time, Al. Uh, if you've caught any of our other shows or anybody that's been with us, you've heard me talk about something called a relational credit score. And a relational credit score is exactly that. Just like you have to establish a financial credit score, which means you have to have a history of paying your bills on time. You have to show responsibility. You have to have all that established up front before you can go and get a favorable loan, before you can get those low mortgage rates. Well, it, building a relationship with the community is the same way. You have to have that upfront trust before the bad incident happens and you show up and say, hey, listen, you need to trust us that we are going to investigate this proper, properly. You need to trust us that we are going to uh, keep our word and be here when we say we're going to be here. So I love where you're going with that uh, that piece as far as doing that. We Again, I don't care where you go in the country. We all talk about it, but uh, but on here in Supply the Why, we refer to it as a relational credit score. So that's fantastic. Love that concept, relational credit score. I've got a friend, Dean Crisp, who, who calls it uh, Bank of Trust. And you're constantly making deposits in that Bank of Trust. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Thank you. Uh, outstanding. So we, we're going to hit the chat a little bit. So Mike wants to know, does leading from the heart as opposed to leading from the mind conflict with department policy and or community standards at times? Yeah, because uh, uh, the word of God says, so a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's in your heart ought not be in conflict with policy and procedures and, and standards of the community because it should all be about service. It, all, it should all come back to service service to mankind and there shouldn't be any conflict there shouldn't just as there should not be any policies and procedures that conflict with state law there shouldn't be any any uh uh ideations in your mind or in your heart that are in conflict with your mission which is to protect and serve uh mankind i i don't see where there's any uh any conflict there or or, or perhaps you got to do some uh cleaning around the heart all right. So, Mike, what I'm going to ask you to do is because I know I, I Mike, I know Mike well. He's one of the, the great contributors on uh, on difficult conversations. So, Mike, if you could come up with a for instance, for instance, I'll circle back with you and we can revisit that, because I think a lot of people um, feel the same way on that, that there's, sometimes there is uh, there's a mistake of the mind versus mistake of the heart. And, and the difference is that, you know, you're trying to do the right thing, but it ain't really doing the right thing. So it's that kind of a deal. All right. So Jose has a question or a comment. He says, very true. It starts in house. Unfortunately, a lot of commanders do not treat their employees with dignity. Hence the best resource offices take it to the public. Any thoughts on that comment from Jose? Well, look, it, it's, it's what is the conversation you and I had earlier before we came on air. And that is you have to search within yourself. Okay. You, you, uh, I, when you're being beat down by, by, uh, supervisors who are who are cynical or or dismissive of, of uh, best practices or those folks who really care more about processes and outcomes than they do people uh, you, you just have to find a way to move yourself on get away from those folks they're dangerous to you and uh, as I said to you earlier I've had a lot of bad leaders and I learned what not to do uh, resign to the fact that you're not going to be the way you see that person uh, behaving. Uh, when you climb the ladder, get yourself in a position to do well so that you can be recognized as a leader. Oftentimes in, in this business, we say, uh, I want to be a leader. Uh, rather than saying, I want to be a leader, uh, do those things that leaders do and, and, and make yourself marketable so that folks will want to put you in leadership positions rather than just saying, I want to be a leader. And, and slowly we're able to turn the tides and change the, those mindsets. So with that said, uh, when you're trying to change those mindsets with people, how much resistance do you face and how do you deal with that resistance? Look, you're going to face a lot of resistance. I, I've, uh, I've had 
probably more jobs than most. And, and I went to some jobs and I stayed a uh, one or two, I stayed a year, two or three, I stayed two years. And, and uh, I've been on this job for four and a half years. It's the longest I've ever held a job, uh, any one job, four and a half years. Uh, you can call me unstable or you can say, uh, I was, I, I was on a trajectory. I knew where I was going. I knew where I was headed. I prepared myself to be here as sheriff one day. It worked out for me, even when people didn't understand the mission, I was on a mission and they didn't understand where I was headed. I wasn't trying to please people do what you know, to be right and just and fair and equitable, go after what it is, whatever it is you want, keep yourself focused get away from worrying about what people have to say. You know, half are going to be mad, half are going to like it. You don't, you're not in it for a popularity contest. You're trying to do what's right. And if you'll do that, stay focused, you, you'll win. Uh, obviously, I've been around folks who were really uh, horrible or, or didn't treat people well. Uh, I always kept my nose clean so that I could speak up and speak out. So, so let me put a little meat on the bones for people. So what, what Al was talking about was before we go on, we have a backstage portion of the show where we, we, we get, we just kind of talk about the format. I get a little conversation going and we spoke about the case of all cases, the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case. And we talked about how the difficulty of being a brand new officer that's in a training capacity. And then when you see your training officer or your supervisor do something that's unethical, how do you handle that situation? What what support do you give as a leader to those new officers to let them know that when they do come forward and they do say say something like, hey, Sheriff or Sarge, I saw this happen. I don't think it was right. What do you do to protect them from uh, from any kind of bullying or retaliation? Well, you know, it's a top-down approach. And I, th I think that uh, you, you'd be surprised in, in uh, the four and a half years I've been sheriff here, we've probably had two complaints of excessive force, neither which was substantiated. Four and a half years and only two complaints of excessive force. So every deputy here knows that we're going to do what is right and fair and equitable. We're going to be transparent. We're not going to hide anything. We're not going to cover up anything. This public knows that body cameras are going to be on. And if the body camera is not on, the complainant's going to get the benefit of the doubt. If an officer says, well, it's just, it, it was happening so fast, I didn't have time to turn it on. Or sheriff, I forgot to charge it up from last night. I uh, worked a long shift. No excuses, none. And so when you espouse that kind of accountability and responsibility, it lessens the opportunity for, for folks to, 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 to make excuses. And so those new officers in the Chauvin situation, I don't care that they were right out of the police academy. If you're going to be so selfish as to be concerned about your job and your pension more so than you are about some man being killed in the street in public, then to hell with them. We don't need those kinds of people in police work. Everybody can't do this job. But to the ones who can, you got to be willing to call out those kinds of injustices. Chauvin, that wasn't the first time he has acted that way. That's Agreed. aggression. And he was very comfortable because he had been allowed to get away with it so many times before. And some of those folks in that agency have blood on their hands because they allowed him to get to that point. I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, you're a defensive tactics instructor, use of force instructor, as am I. The dead giveaway to me about the level of comfort he had doing that was the hands in the pockets. You bet, uh, Dean. Uh, hands in the pocket. Uh, we know in police work that uh, if we're going to die, we're probably going to die at the hands of another. And when your hands are in your pocket, it's because you're very comfortable with your surroundings. And, and uh, he was obviously very comfortable. He was not afraid of, of uh, George Floyd at that point. And uh, his arrogance and ego uh, spoke loud and clear and caused the death of a man. I, I agree with you. So, Al, I'm going to hit the chat real quick. We have a couple people that have some comments slash questions. So Mike wants to know, well, first he wants to say thank you for your service. What programs do you have that has the police interact with the community, like Coffee for a Cop, or a Christmas drive that uh, Mike's local PD has? 
Oh, gosh. We, we've got a ton of them. You check us out on our Facebook page, Burke County Sheriff's Office Facebook page. We're, we're always in the community. We're heavily into our community. Shot with a cop, uh, toys at Christmas with, with children. Every child in this county, it doesn't matter if they live in this county or not, can come to a Christmas program we have where they get to sit on the lap of Santa and take a picture with Santa and have hot chocolate and, and snack. And they each get a toy, a brand new unwrapped toy. We have, uh, for every month of the year, we, there's something going on. We have Easter egg hunts here. We have uh, 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 cookouts in all of our public housing areas during the summer. We go from one to the other and, and do hot dogs and hamburgers and drinks. And, and uh, we give out ice cream. We, we're involved in every facet of our community. Uh, uh, and we, we do Thanksgiving meals for, for folks. We're in our nursing homes. We, we go to our daycare centers. We're just heavily involved. We, we work with other uh, entities within the, the county to reach our um, public. Uh, Sir Robert Peel said it in, in, in yeah, 1829. Public are the police. The police are the public. We're all in this together. We need one another. And uh, uh, we, we built a house for a quadriplegic and his family, a, a guy who got a rare form of meningitis and, and lost all of his limbs had a wife and three kids. He was the breadwinner. This sheriff's office built a house worth $350,000 by uh, taking to, uh, uh, to, 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 to Facebook and internet and raising money and getting donations. We built that house and, and uh, the family is living there. That's the kind of thing we do here in Burke County. That's amazing. So it sounds to me like you're really serious about humanizing the badge, the person behind the badge, and letting your community know that, hey, we're people just like you are, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so so often we want to uh, do this job as law enforcement officers, but we're still fathers. We're, we're dads. We're uncles. We're friends in the community. It, it's, we always want to handle an issue in our official capacity. I drive a school bus. Uh, most days here, I'm a fill-in or substitute bus driver. Early in the mornings, before I ever make it into the office, I'm picking up kids and getting them to, to school. Really? I take my lunch break and go back and pick them up in the afternoon and, and, and get them home. It's not, I don't, you know, I don't need that money. Uh, it's not much money, but uh, it gives me a chance to connect with children outside of a law enforcement capacity. It gives me a chance to connect with parents at the stop to hug kids getting on the bus and to give them a high five on the way home. That's connecting with the community. And that's what we do. That's incredible. That there's not many first in this line of work, but that is a first. I've never heard of anybody going that in depth to become uh, interwoven into the fabric of the, of their community. That is fantastic. So the chat is lighting up here. So a gentleman that I think you're familiar with named Eric, he says great dialogue between you two. It's all about building a rapport with the community. My sheriff has preached, has preached that since the academy. Build a rapport with individuals, and they will help you in the future. That's an outstanding comment. And then from there, Heidi says, what has the community response been to your leadership style, and do they notice a big difference from the previous sheriffs? Well, well certainly our community – uh, knows what we're about. They know we're all about service. They know we're about service to mankind. Uh, we have a huge following. Uh, we, I think we are up to 20,000 or so uh, Facebook followers. People depend on us. They depend on us for information. If it's about the weather, they're going to the Burke County Sheriff's Office page to hear about the weather. They know that if we're going to have storms and trees are down, our chainsaws are going to be uh, oiled and gassed and ready to go We've got pickup trucks that our, our uh, folks in our uh, sheriff's office drive. They're going out. They're going to be clearing the roadways before the road department ever gets up and about. We, we don't make excuses. We find ways to help people. Uh, our leadership style is, is service to mankind. Uh, it's, it's espoused throughout. Uh, it's new. It's new to them. Uh, but it's working. And it's very much appreciated by this community. We're not seeing the, the uptick in violent crime. As you know, it's up 25 to 33 percent across the country, depending on where you look. Even all around us, folks are seeing an increase in violent crime. We're not seeing it here in Burke County because we have an amazing team of folks like Eric uh, McCants and, and many, many others 
who work hard, who believe in our mission. They're not trying to be loyal to the sheriff. They're loyal to the mission. And the mission is to serve mankind. Outstanding. So the chat's lighting up, so I'm going to keep it rolling here, Al. So Jose says, love it. Change the narrative. As much as public safety officers think it, this is a downtime, I'm excited about it. Sheriff Alon Alfonso Williams, do you think this is a great time to change policing? Meaning, can we actually take care of our community while lifting our good officers to be the best guardians that they can be? What do you we, think? We most certainly can. We've got to change the narrative, uh, Dean. As you well know, uh, if you've taught at a police academy, you know it was always... Uh, uh, the teaching was that the, you know, if you want to go home at the end of the, of the shift uh, or go home at the end of the night, you got to think everybody's going to kill you. You got to think everybody's got a gun. Everybody's going to hurt you. If a guy gets within 21 feet of you with a knife, there's no way you can survive other than to, to shoot him. And, and we have put people on such a high state of alert. It's, it, we got to bring them back down and bring the, and, and stop, having them think that everybody's going to kill you. Everybody is not trying to kill us. This is a dangerous business. Everybody can't do it, but we can't, it's almost like trying to debrief. Uh, I was a police academy director and we get folks who had served in the military and served overseas. And when they come to the police academy, they'd have, they'd be on heightened alert thinking the enemy is coming and we'd be in these law enforcement practicals. And I'd say, hold hold on a guy. Wait a minute, guy, that's your partner. You know, don't hurt him. And they'd be in the mode in the, in the kill mode, you know, because that's what they were used to. And so we need to get some, some deprogramming uh, uh, training going on for some of our officers and stop thinking that everybody's out to get you. Everybody's not out to get you. Everybody's not going to hurt you. We want to go home at the end of the night, but we we've got to change our training. We've got to change our, our implicit biases and, and we've got to realize that we're here serving people. This is the most right time to change where we are. We What got us here then uh, uh, won't get us where we're trying to go. What got us here was that old 50, uh, 50 thinking from 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. We're still hiring like we did 50 years ago. We're still promoting like we did 50 years ago. We're still... Uh, in that mindset that we were in 50 years ago, it, 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 it bothers me every time I hear somebody say, we just need to get back to where we used to be a long time ago. I remember people had respect for the police. Well, I can remember 50 years ago, police did some horrible things to people of color. So what do you mean when you say you want it the way it used to be? What has got us to this point won't get us to where we're trying to go without changing mindsets. So a person can't perform above his mindset. And if his mindset is that people of color scare him, he's never going to be successful until he changes his way of thinking. So I'm going to, I'm, so I'm going to devil's advocate you a little bit there. So how do you change someone's uh, mode of thinking? Because one thing that I, I'm sure you've noticed, Al, is people can manipulate just about any test that you can come up with, even a lie detector test can be manipulated. And it's like, a, for example, a crude example is when you meet, uh, when you meet somebody in a bar that you're interested in, like in a dating way. Yeah. Everybody puts on their greatest face and they talk about, and they, and they only show the good sides of themselves in a way to make yourself most presentable. Well, people do the same thing in these job interviews. And yes, we are trained BS detectives, but still, there's still some people that are going to fall through the cracks. So how do you, how do you filter that? Well, you filter it, filter those kinds of things by looking at a person's actions and not so much what comes out of their mouth. Uh, I was an interview interrogation instructor for a number of years and, and, and taught it very well uh, where we used to say, you know what? The mouth can learn to lie, but the body does not know how you, you got to pay attention to more than what's coming out of a person's mouth. You can't, you know, you, you, you'll meet somebody and they'll say, well, it's nice to meet you. And I'm thinking to myself, really, you really don't know me that well yet. I, I, you know, I, I know it's cliche-ish, but, but you really don't know. And I, I think that we've got to watch people's actions. What's, what's in a uh, man's heart is was what's in his mind. And, and I think you'll, you'll discern 
the, the true spirit of a person uh, given some time when they're under stressful conditions, uh, their thought processes, how they write, what they say, their interactions with people, uh, the complaints that will be coming in, and especially when they're repeated, whether they're substantiated or not. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, you hear these officers who say things like, well, you know, if you're out doing your job, you're going to get complaints. Well, you know, I submit that that's, that's not true. I, I think if you're out doing your job, Yes, there'll be a couple of complaints come in, but it doesn't mean that you're doing a really good job because your 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 file is full of complaints. That so we've got to change those kinds of mindsets. So I'm glad you went down that road. And again, I apologize, folks. The chat is going crazy. I'm going to try to get to as many as you can, but he he's he's spitting science right now, and I have to get more more out of him right now. So so Al, with that said, you and I talked about procedural fairness, and I can give you an example. I had an officer that is, I'm talking one of your top performing type officers. Like, like if, we, if this was back in the day in the schoolyard and we're picking kickball teams with everybody lined up, this is going to be your first or second pick, no question. That's, that's the kind of guy this was. So somebody came in to complain about this officer and said that this officer was rude to them uh, because they gave him a written warning. So I asked more questions. Said, "All right, well, tell me more about the interactions. Did he swear at you? Well, no, he didn't use any profanity. Okay, did he yell at you? No, he didn't. He didn't raise his voice. All right, did he put his hands on you? Oh, of course not. He didn't put his hands on you. I said, okay. So he gave you a written warning. So what exactly were you doing here? All right, he said that you were going forty-seven and a thirty, which would warrant a, a money fine in a lot of cases. But this person gives you a written warning. What exactly is the is the beef? And he said, well, this officer seemed arrogant." when they when they handed me this written warning what do you do with that well because so i know like, what i did but i want to hear what you would do and i'll tell you what i did well you know a good leader uh, uh hopefully you got body camera footage where you can watch that footage no uh, body cameras no body cameras mm-hmm. well you know in 2021 i just hope that uh uh leaders will get out of that mindset that we don't need body cameras we just shouldn't have to ask you to do that in 2021 they don't tell the whole story, but it's better than he said, she said, and the supervisor is standing there saying, I don't know because I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't work anymore. So we just shouldn't be there. But in a case like that, it, it, and if it's what you had purported to me, then you unsubstantiate the case and you tell the guy, hey, I don't have any evidence to suggest that, uh, that, that the officer did anything wrong. I hear what you're saying. I empathize with you. We, we follow procedure and uh, this, you know, unsubstantiate the case and you so, don't well that's that's right along the lines of where i went so what happened was this uh, so i asked a few more questions made it conversational and then this person started drop name dropping of people they knew in the department saying that they went to school with this one and that one so i had the citation the excuse me the written warning in my hand and i saw this person's date of birth and i realized that this person was older considerably than anybody in my department so when they're telling me that they went to school with somebody that I knew to be only a couple years older than me, and this person is double digit years older than me. Right then and there, something's rotten in Denmark. Yeah, I knew that they, he lost all credibility, and I told him that. Yeah, I said, you know, how mathematically could you have gone to school with X, Y, and Z person if you're this, if you're eight years older than this person? And then it started the uh, well, well, uh, and he started doing like that beatboxing thing. The uh, 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 and I said, sir, here is your written warning back. It's not actionable. You have a nice day if you don't have anything else. And I sent him on his way. Yeah. But it's I'll one of those things. Lie, but the body does not know how. I'm, and you move him on. Yeah. But it's one of those things, Al, where there's some supervisors, depending on what if, what if it's a supervisor that didn't like that officer? We've seen it. Like you said, you've had a lot of bad supervisors, as am I. Some people would have ran with that, like Barry Sanders, as an opportunity to have a gotcha moment with that officer. So how do you deal with with um, with supervisors uh, that that look at things that way? Yeah, I think it comes down to 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 keeping your nose clean. I mean, those those situations are going to be few and far between if you're doing your job and you're being fair and equitable and doing what's right. Uh, you know, when we all know in police work, when a supervisor really wants to get you, they will. But I think it's following policy, keeping your nose clean, making good decisions, uh, caring for people. Uh, you're going to outlast anybody who's 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 horrible and bad, and uh, and, and you'll make it. But you know, being 
being a human being, uh, being a Christian person uh, doesn't make life, uh, doesn't make you immune from, from uh, false allegations and criticisms. Uh, that's when it's really going to come at you. But every day, this is the why show. That here, and here it is. Every day, Dean, you got to get up and remember why you do this. Are you doing it for that supervisor who's, who's being ugly? Or are you getting up doing it because you're here to serve mankind? So when people, when police across the nation are, are starting to question, why am I into this business? People don't care for us. They don't understand us. They don't support us. They want to defund us. They think all of us are racist. They think that white people come to work every day with the ideology of killing a black man on video camera. Uh, yeah, all of those things. Remember why you get up and do this job every day. You're doing it because you're here to serve mankind and not be served by mankind. Ooh, I love that. And we're going to get back to that. I believe that title means what you just said means something. And we're going to circle back to that at the end of the show. All right, Al, we got to rapid fire some of this chat. There's a lot of people that want to get at you. So Charles says, Sheriff, what do you say when people who advocate for abolishing police and or what do you say to them, I'd imagine, is what that's supposed to say? And what are their responses to you? As a side note, Dean, you are the. (laughs) Well, thank you, Charles. I appreciate that. I think highly of you, too. So what do you say to people that are advocating for abolishing the police and uh, what what kind of responses do you get from them really quick? Well, Dean, you are the man. But what I say to people who talk about things like abolishing the police, you're, it's just ignorance. It's silliness. Words like defund the police or, or uh, whatever, reform the police. It, look, we need some reformation. The public needs some as well. We need money for mental health. We don't need to take any of it from the police to give to mental health. We need the money that we have to keep folks safe. You got to decide what you're going to pay for. And uh, I, I submit you wouldn't want to see what it would be like if you defunded the police and gave that money to mental health. Uh, we need to do our jobs. We need to stop letting politicians make decisions for us. We need to get police chiefs who are not afraid of their city councils. We need sheriffs who are not afraid of their constituency. Our law enforcement leaders are failing us because their only concern is to get to power. And once they get there, they do whatever it takes to stay there, even if that means sacrificing the officer on patrol and the squad car who's out there doing his job every day. Politicians, they only want to get to power and stay there. Al, we could do a separate show just on that statement. All right, but but it's powerful, but we got to move on here. So Brad says, we don't make excuses. We find ways to help people. I love that. Way to go, Sheriff. Thanks, Brad. We, we, we talk in our agency every day about find the hard yes rather than the easy no. That's what we're doing. All right, I love it. So so uh, Bobby Verdun, an old, an old coach of mine from uh, seemingly a million years ago, he says, this is phenomenal. I am not in law enforcement, but listening to the two of you gives such amazing perspective of how valuable leadership is to communities. This conversation needs to be heard nationally. Hashtag winners. Thank you, Coach V. Um, you've always been a great supporter of, of me, even when I was, uh, maybe I, I, I might not have always deserved it, but but thank you for uh, for sticking with me for uh, coming up on 30 years now. So thank you for that. Sheriff, how does your agency mentor its newly promoted supervisors for optimal leadership success? Phenomenal question. Yes, Keisha, I love the way your name is spelled. What we do is succession leadership. I'll be in Orlando, Florida uh, in November teaching a class on uh, leadership succession. What we got to do, imagine this, and this is not an original idea. Imagine when Jesus came on the scene and he said to his disciples, I've only... uh, I'm here with you for a short time and I'm going to die real soon. And I've only got a very short time to impart my knowledge to you, to tell you how to go across this world and get churches started and how to take care of widows and children and how to take care of one another and how to serve mankind. I got to do it. I got to do it quickly. Go back to your agency on Monday with that mindset, because that's what we do here at Burke County Sheriff's Office. We're identifying leaders we're imparting knowledge. I don't know how long I got to give it to them. Something could happen tomorrow, or maybe I could find another job tomorrow. But the vision lives on. Visionaries die. Visions do not. You got to get it to them. You got to coach and mentor and encourage and hold them individually accountable 
and 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 share mutual responsibility. That's how you grow and have leaders that will come behind you and succeed you and and still do a good job. You know those leaders that you say that say, well, if I left here tomorrow, this place would fall apart. That's because they're horrible leaders. Oof. Yeah. So so if you're not training somebody to take over the, the, the why show, supply the why, if you're the only one and the show will die because you leave, then you hadn't been a good leader of the show. Your I love it. I love it. At some point, I do have to get somebody that can do some of this, too. Uh, I'm, we're, we're a small shot, Sheriff, but uh, but hopefully with more viewers and more amazing guests like you, we can grow this thing and really pump it out uh, nationally like these conversations deserve to be. Folks, I see you in the chat, and I am trying to get to you, but we have a part of the show that we have to get to. So we've talked about some sunshines and sunshine and rainbows type stuff. Now we got to talk about a difficult conversation or a difficult interview that Sheriff Williams gave where he, all right, is, and again, if you're listening on the podcast, both Sheriff Williams and I are black, and one of the most difficult parts of being a black police officer is every once in a while, we have to tell other people that look like us that you're in the wrong and you kind of get what you get as far as law enforcement goes. So you had a situation where you were on uh, CNN and probably some several other networks where you were talking about a case that occurred down in Georgia involving Rashad Brooks. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that was like? Yeah, so uh, most of your, I'm sure many of your viewers will remember the Rashad Brooks case, the uh, uh, who uh, fell asleep in his car at the drive through Wendy's in, in, in Atlanta, and uh, a deputy was called there uh, or dispatched there uh, by the folks at Wendy's who were called, and uh, the deputy showed up, and he uh, talked with Mr. Brooks, asked him on four occasions, four times he asked the uh, asked Brooks to pull over and sleep it off. And, uh, and but he, uh, you know, he was suspicious. He ended up calling a DUI officer over to, to conduct field sobriety. And when the second officer determined that Brooks was going to be arrested, Brooks struggled with the two officers and got the best of them on the ground. There was some ground fighting going on. Uh, Brooks managed to take a taser from one of the officers and he took off running. Uh, at least one officer gave chase. Brooks bladed his body and turned back and fired the taser at the officer, at which time the officer shot Brooks and killed him. And we had all of this outrage because it was on the heels of uh, George Floyd and some other cases. And sometimes when folks are angry and emotions are high, they tend to want to paint every case with a broad brush. And I think they did that in the Brooks case. I immediately spoke out and said, no, that was justified. It was textbook right. It was legally sound. It was the way we trained. It was best practices. It was a justified shooting. And it outraged people across this country and, and a couple other countries. And for two weeks, my phone rang off the hook and I was everything in the world. I was an Uncle Tom. I was I was I was I was uh, uh, a bootlicker. I was the South has got me now. Uh, and, and if you were uh, that was the consensus, if you were black and if you were white, people said, oh, ethical man who's standing up for what's right. It didn't bother me what color the officers were. They just happened to be two white officers, you know, but the Atlanta mayor. Who, who was probably hoping to get on the Democratic ticket with Joe Biden, was saying that the officer was wrong, forced the chief to resign, uh, forced those officers out of a job, had to give them their jobs back, by the way. Mm. It took every law enforcement entity in this state five days before one of them, our chief training and, and, and public safety headquarters, took them five days to come out and say the shooting was justified. That's why we got a problem. We're listening. We're pandering to politicians. We're pandering to emotional people who are thinking with emotion and not with science and data and training and expertise because they're afraid of their jobs. Chief, let me jump in real quick there. So let's give a little background to those of you that are watching. Again, I'm here with um, Sheriff Alfonso Williams of Burke County, Georgia. And one of the things that you do, in addition to all of the of the hats you've worn, is you are also a use of force defensive tactics instructor as well, right? Yes, that is well, correct. 
All right. So as am I, so we can speak the same language on this. So I want to ask you a question in relation to this. Do you feel that as a result of this seems to be, in my opinion, there's a fear of being tried by social media, trial by social media. And I feel like sometimes the offices try to use kit clubs to the point where it puts them in a dangerous situation. And then as a result of being in a dangerous situation, they end up having to use more force than they would have in the first place to get out of that dangerous hole they created by trying to come in with kit gloves. Do you think that maybe that played a role in this particular case? I, I don't think so in, in this particular case, Dean. I think that the force that was used was completely justified. It was completely uh, appropriate textbook right. These guys did everything they could. I've watched a video, and I, I, I venture to say I've watched a video 50 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, they used de-escalation techniques. They had uh, sympathy for him. He purported that his mother had recently died and he had been visiting the graveyard. The officer said things like, oh, I'm very sorry. Uh, Those are the things you don't hear on CNN or Fox News. Yeah, somehow that didn't Uh, make it onto the mainstream media. I wonder why. And it never made the mainstream media that, that, that the first officer asked him four times to pull over and sleep it off. Okay, those things didn't make it. And and for folks, look. In these situations, you're in search of truth or you're in search of doubt. And those folks who are predisposed and they're in search of doubt, they're going to find out. Those folks who really want to know the truth are going to go play the video and they're going to look and listen and and hear it out and and read studies. Uh, Those guys did everything appropriately. I don't think that they boxed themselves into a situation where they were afraid to do anything and then all of a sudden they overreacted. I don't think that was the case here at all. They we don't use a force continuum anymore, as you well know, but they follow the force continuum, uh, uh, be as it were, and did everything they could to mitigate that situation. And uh, Brooks just decided that he was not going to go back to jail for whatever reason. And he put those officers in that position uh, and and uh, it caused his ultimate demise. And I'm very, very sorry uh, that that those officers were put in a position to have to take a life. And, and I'm sorry that his family had to go through what they went through, but he made that decision. I agree. And it's, it's, it's tragic all around. I'm sorry for the Brooks family. I'm sorry for the families of those officers. And, um, and part of what I was saying was definitely not a criticism of those officers. I thought that one of the videos I saw, it looked as if one of the officers was behind Mr. Brooks when they on the ground. He looked like the arm was coming across and that he caught himself mid mid moments and oh I can't put my arm across his neck because then people are gonna say I'm trying to choke this guy out and it looked to me like he took his arm off like when I saw that and I was like to me that looked like maybe that was something like he was going to control the head which is something everybody learned that's fighting one on one you control the head the body will follow that's right. and he kind of caught himself is what it looked like to me again I haven't talked to these officers and he took the arm away and well, I was just thinking I was wondering out. if maybe that was part of it. There's no doubt that officers are in the street every day trying to uh, walk softly so that they're, they, they don't face this criticism or they, they, they don't fall prey to uh, an overzealous prosecutor who's trying to make a name for himself or herself by prosecuting police officers who are trying to do what's right. Look, we have millions of interactions with the public every day. They all turn out fine. Occasionally, we have a person who goes rogue and does something stupid, but officers are scared to death that they are going to be indicted by a grand jury and prosecuted by an overzealous uh, prosecutor, such as the one they had in Atlanta on the Brooks case, who is now out of office and and facing investigations himself. All right. Outstanding. So we have from Burke County, by the way. Really? Yes. Well, ain't ain't, ain't that something? So I do have a comment. I got to go back a little bit. So Keisha um, is talking about, it sounds to me like you're ta- cha- talking about changing from a warrior mentality to a guardian mentality. Can you speak to that really quick in about th- uh, 30, 45 seconds? Yeah, you bet, Keisha. Uh, I think we, uh, throughout the police academy, we we're all taught to have this uh, warrior mindset. You know, I got your six and I'm, you know, I, you know, we bleed blue blood and I don't even talk like that. I don't get caught up into that kind of uh, language. I'm a person. I'm a man. Uh, I just happen to be in law enforcement. 
I have I've called myself a social worker my entire career. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the guardian mindset or the warrior mindset, as long as you know where that when to use that. Sometimes a guardian has got to transition to a warrior mindset. But uh, at the end of the day, service to mankind is what it's all about. And if you're going to be a servant, you got to be a guardian. Outstanding. And again, I'm just going to touch upon that. I think you need both because when the situation is right and you call the police, let's face it, most people call the police um, because it's a problem that is beyond the scope of their capabilities and you need to be able to respond appropriately. And at the end of the day in police in police work, if everything went away and they defunded us down back to the Stone Age, people are still going to want you to be able to take people away that need to be taken away. And sometimes that requires a warrior mindset. Look, I'm a really nice guy. I consider myself a guardian, but I've arrested a ton of people in my career. So so uh, you can be a guardian and still do your job and still make arrests. I mean, that's that's but we you also got to understand we can't arrest our way out of crime. So that's so that's the second time you've given me a completely different show topic. So so since you've done that, I, I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to need to have you back uh, a second, maybe even a third time so we can address these other show topics that you seem to be uh, coming up with. So London wants to know, how do you get your officers to change the mindset in regards to getting more more involved in the community? I've heard too many cops say that community relations is not their job. So I think you spoke to that earlier in the broadcast about not hiring like it's 50 years ago. But really quick, can you touch upon that again? Yeah, London, you're so right. I, I hear that too. You get these cynical police officers, especially folks who've been on the job 20, 25, 30 years. They'll say everything is becoming touchy-feely and I don't believe in all that community policing stuff. Well, those are folks that need to be moved on. They, they, they are out of touch. Uh, some of them, you're not going to be able to change their mentality. Uh, you put them in places where they're least uh, harmful to you and, and uh, offer them an early retirement. Get rid of them. They're no good. If they're not going to follow the mission of the agency, uh, they're doing you no good. Uh, you're just letting them hang around to get a pension, and that's what's hurting all of us because they poison the new folks coming in. Uh, they're going to tell you this or that or the other. Don't buy into that. Those are people that need to be gone. And, and we got to do a better job getting rid of them. On the front end, we got to do a better job at, at uh, onboarding folks and making sure they know the mission, they understand the mission. Every decision they make is predicated upon the mission. I don't care if you're an officer, a sergeant, a lieutenant, captain, major, chief. You cannot make a decision that doesn't tie back to the mission. If so, they're out of bounds. Outstanding. And, and to just to touch upon that really quick, I think that in agencies, we need to do a better job of promoting and highlighting the offices that are, that, that are, they're, they're going out there and they're demonstrating the values of the department and, and the mission of the department instead of just whoever tops a test or whoever's the most fun to go out and have a beer with or, right. or the person that you graduated high school with or went to the academy with. We got to, we got to do away with that, um, for lack of a better way to put it, that good old boy network way of elevating yes, people. And we have to start elevating the people that best embody the mission of, of an agency. But Dean, that's why we've got to increase our standards. It's, it's why I'm pushing so hard in Georgia and, and across this country for better standards, better retirement. We we can't have folks working until 67 to get uh, Medicare before they retire. We got to come up with better retirement plans. We need a background check that's similar to uh, top secret security clearance, because if you have more skin in the game, you'll make less of these horrible decisions. Why do you think we don't have state uh, police and federal police uh, uh, doing things like we saw at Derek Chauvin? They have more skin in the game. And 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 we've got to get to a point where we can do that. Uh, we've also, uh, you can't just hire a person with a, uh, and I'm not picking on a GED or high school diploma. That is fine. But you have these officers who think, I don't need college. I don't need some liberal arts education. Well, really, you do, because you need to understand diversity. You need to understand how other people live who are not like you. And that's that's a good way to get it. It gives you some time to undertake studies and learn what's going on in police work. We can't keep hiring like we did 50 years ago or we're going to continue to have the problems we have. All right, folks, I know there's more questions in the chat, but Al, as promised, I broke a promise to you. I told you with about eight minutes left, I'd stop. 
and we could talk about what projects you have, but but the chat was so hot we had to keep going with it. So I um, I apologize if I can't get to you to your questions. I will try to circle back at some point and and and, uh, and answer them after uh, after the broadcast. So Al, we're down under five minutes left. What what are you passionate about? What projects are you working on? How can people follow you? Look, uh, I'll I'll try to use one minute for that, and then give you time to get to questions if you want. Look. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Burke County Sheriff's Office, Alfonso Williams. Uh, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Alfonso Williams. I, uh, I've written three books. Uh, I have a fourth book that's coming out at the end of this month. It'll be all of them on Amazon.com. My first book was a memoir about my life and police work. It's called Not Here to Be Served from Matthew uh, 20 and 28. The Bible says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. My book is called Not Here to Be Served. My second book, Police on Policing, came as a result of the Rashad Brooks case. I interviewed 15 police chiefs and sheriffs from around the country, north with unions, south without unions, uh, small agencies, large agencies. We figure out how to increase police standards and get better training and knowledge and changing mindsets so that we can have better law enforcement. Uh, my third book, is murder in Augusta is a murder case. I worked back when I was a 21 year old detective, solved that case. It was an instrumental part of my career. And I uh, have memorialized that in, in, in a book. Uh, my fourth book, probably my most controversial of all, which will be out at the end of this month. Truth has no color. Ooh, I love the title. Going give to us a little bit. Give us a nugget about that. I want to. I want to hear about that now. Yeah. So we're going to. We, we're taking cases uh, from across this country, very uh, uh, important cases like George Floyd, and we're going to examine those cases. Uh, the the situation in uh, uh, Ferguson. Uh, we're going to take those cases and we're going to go through them and we're going to call it like it is, whether it was justified or not, whether it was a racial situation or not. Uh, for for many African Americans who think every police uh, killing is is unjustified, or whites who say, "Well, uh, there was no uh, 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 insurrection at the Capitol." I'm going to put them all together and uh, 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 and and call it like it is. I can't wait to get into that. Please tell me that's going to be on Amazon uh, audiobooks. That, that for me, because when I'm doing my paper shuffle. I can't obviously read, but I love to listen to audiobooks and great podcasts. Um, you might even be on one right now that I think is worth listening to while you're at work. And I think that um, that that would be something that I'd be super interested in if you could um, if you could tell me that. Is that going to be on audiobook? Uh, I, I, my th the first three have not been on audio. I'll check and see about this one. This is probably going to be the best one yet. I'll uh, I'll get back to you on that. These are self published, and uh, so I'm not going to make the New York sellers best list, but uh, uh, but they'll be out there. Oh, well, that sounds outstanding. Um, this says Dean, can you post the ISBN number so we can look up and order? I have no idea what that is. I assume that you do. I do. I do have ISBN numbers, and I'll send them to you. Outstanding. So once I get those link LinkedIn user, whoever that is, I will put them on the Supply the Why LinkedIn page for all to see. So we have are getting down to the last 90 seconds or so. I just want to say this has been an amazing conversation. Um, Al, I, uh, this was everything I envisioned, you know, full disclosure. I have been, um, silently following, um, Sheriff Williams for quite some time. I was in a leadership class with a gentleman you mentioned earlier, Dean Crisp, and he mentioned your name. This was a couple of years ago. And ever since then, I've been, uh, I've I've been intrigued by by you, and I follow you. I follow you on 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 LinkedIn, and I got to be honest. I didn't have the courage to come out and ask you to be on the show because I thought you'd big time me. But yeah. the fact that you were willing to come on the show is is amazing. This has been an amazing opportunity for me. Uh, our mutual friend Dean Crisp. I teach with Dean. Dean has been in my agency to teach leadership classes over the last several years. I travel the road with him and teach some leaders helping leaders network. He's an awesome guy. Dean, you're a great guy. Thank you. Uh, Eric McCants tried to get me on your show back in February and I must have had a lot going on. I'm glad we had a chance to meet tonight. I would love to come back if you would just have me on. Uh, we can talk more. I can talk forever. We're trying to change the culture of leadership across this country. And I'm starting right here in small Burke County, Georgia, just outside of Augusta, Georgia, home of the Masters. Well, 
you got friends up in New England now too. So um, we a uh, couple things. I wish you well. I hope that you guys get a real pro football team down there, like the Patriots. You guys can work on that. Maybe get that going. But <laughs> of all seriousness, thank you again so so much for taking the time out to be here, Al. It's been great talking to you. And um, and if you're watching the show, please like subscribe and share to all our social media platforms people need to hear these conversations so again everybody have a wonderful night we'll see you again next week for another great show hashtag supply the why take care everybody